This is another iRaw podcast. We podcast to make the world a better place for animals. Hi, welcome to Storytelling Animals, a podcast where we use books to help make sense of the ecological crisis and to think about what comes next. The end of the year is fast approaching, which in many corners of the arts means award season. Um, Things like National Book Award coming out, publications from the New York Times to Lit Hub to whatever else making their end of year best of lists. And I thought I would do my own uh, Storytelling Animals book awards. Um, I read 78 books this year, which is by far the most in my adult life, Um, about half for the podcast or the podcast book club, but about half um, for other things. And I, yeah, I thought the end of the year could be a good opportunity to highlight um, some of my favorites that I read, um, some of the ones I'd most highly recommend, some of the interesting thoughts they provoked within me. Um, Yeah, and and kind of look back at a year of reading. Before we get started, um, speaking of reading, I want to invite you all to the Storytelling Animals Book Club. Our next two meetings are going to be Tuesday, January 17th, to discuss Ed Young's An Immense World about animal senses, and Tuesday, February 28th, to discuss Matt Bell's Appleseed, a novel. Um, I might discuss both books a little later in the podcast, Um, but for now, please mark your calendars, reach out to me. Um, The way to find out more is to join my free weekly newsletter or become a monthly paying subscriber on Patreon. Um, The newsletter gets you a free trial meeting of the book club. Being on Patreon, you get to attend as much as you want. Um, At different levels of Patreon support, you also get early access to episodes, other perks. Um, So please consider that. Um, And while you're considering, I hope you enjoy the episode. First annual Storytelling Animals Book Awards. Um, first, I thought I'd start just by going through some numbers. Um, I've read, like I said, 78 books this year. Um, 27 of those were either books I covered for the podcast or books written by authors who I interviewed for the podcast. Um, another 10 were for the Storytelling Animals Book Club. And then the rest were either for a local book club I'm in with some friends, or just books I read for fun, or books that maybe will be covered on future episodes of Storytelling Animals, I'm not totally sure. So a wide range. Um, And then it was about half and half fiction and nonfiction. 40 of the 78 were fiction, 37 were nonfiction, and there was one that was kind of a mix that I might get to later. Um, So... 22 of the 78 were new releases, books from 2022, Um, and one is actually a book that's not out yet. It comes out next month in 2023, uh, and I'm actually doing an episode on it. It'll be out next month as well. I'll tell you more later. Um, And so I'm going to sort of split the Storytelling Animals Book Awards into new books, 2022 books, um, and older books. in addition of the 78, 12 were books I had read before and was rereading either for a book club or for fun or for some other reason. Um, eight of those 12 rereads I listened to an audiobook. I'm Historically, I haven't been a big audiobook listener, but I found that it's nice for rereading um, where I already 
you know what happens. I know the characters, um, so I don't feel like I'm necessarily missing anything if I'm distracted for a half sentence or something. Whereas if it's the first time I'm I'm reading the book, I'm listening to the audiobook, if I miss half a sentence, I feel like I have to go back and it turns into a whole big thing. Um, anyway, so 66 books I read for the first time, 12 rereads. Um, both are going to get some attention in the awards. I'm also going to end with a couple books that I wish I had read or books I'm excited to read for next year. Um, some of those are uh, recommendations from Patreon subscribers. Um, and yeah, so like I said, splitting it into fiction, nonfiction, 2022 releases, older releases. And one last note is that overall I am going to prioritize the books that I have not already covered on the podcast. Um, just because the ones that I've covered on the podcast, you can hear a lot about. Um, you can hear what I think. You can hear what the authors think by listening to those interviews. Um, so I don't want to repeat myself too much. Um, and I want to kind of explore a wider world of books than um, we would get by only focusing on the podcast books. Um, I will mention a couple that I covered on the podcast just because I had additional thoughts about them or they were good enough that they are worth lifting up again. But for the most part... The Storytelling Animals Book Awards winners will be books I have not previously discussed. And that is true beginning with the very first award I will give out, which is Best Book Overall. Um, So I'm going to throw away all the categories I just mentioned and the best front-to-cover thing I read um, was, and this one's honestly pretty easy, it's The Waves by Virginia Woolf. I first read this book in 2016, and it blew me away then. Virginia Woolf has long been one of my favorite authors. If I were to pick a a top three writers, it would probably be John Steinbeck, Kurt Vonnegut, and Virginia Woolf in some order. Um, And Virginia Woolf, I had previously read many of her books, um, and then in over the second half of 2021 and the first half of 2022, I was in a Virginia Woolf book club where we read all ten of her novels, um, and I'm going to put an asterisk on the word novels, um, because not all of them quite fit that description, but basically narrative fiction works, um, excluding her, a play she wrote, um, as well as two of her works of nonfiction, A Room of One's Own and Three Guineas. Um, those are both incredible, um, but here I'm going to talk about the fiction and the waves uh, in particular, which deserves that asterisk about whether or not it's a novel. Um, She herself described it as a play poem, and I get why she said so. The the prose is is perhaps closer to poetry than to conventional novelistic writing. Um, There's something peculiar about it. It it ebbs and flows and undulations like the waves themselves. Um, And the, the play part of it is that the book covers six friends, basically from from childhood to um, later adulthood and different sections are narrated by a different one of the friends and it's sort of a a first-person soliloquy each of them gives in this strange poetic language that you know when they're children it is entirely unlike how any child would actually talk yeah i think i'm going to struggle to to really describe it something that i think you have to read but that truly takes my breath away like nothing else I've ever read. Um, So rather than try to describe it, I will give a brief excerpt. Um, 
I have won the game, said Ginny. Now it is your turn. I must throw myself on the ground and pant. I am out of breath with running, with triumph. Everything in my body seems thinned out with running and triumph. My blood must be bright red, whipped up, slapping against my ribs. My soles tingle, as if wire rings opened and shut in my feet. I see every blade of grass very clear. But the pulse drums so in my forehead, behind my eyes, that everything dances. The net, the grass, your faces leap like butterflies. The trees seem to jump up and down. There is nothing stayed, nothing settled in this universe. All is rippling, all is dancing. All is quickness and triumph. I think this idea of nothing stayed, nothing settled in the universe gets at part of what is so beautiful about the book and about much of her writing. Um, you jump around between different people's consciousnesses, and on the one hand, there's a, a vast gulf between each consciousness. Um, a theme in, in some of her books, including this, is sort of the the inability to fully communicate oneself and how others might not fully understand you, no matter how hard you try to communicate yourself, or maybe for whatever reason you don't want to communicate yourself. Um, and so by you know, by getting this sort of stream of consciousness writing of, of different characters, you you see the gulfs between them, and yet you also see the the connections. The there is nothing stayed, nothing settled. Everything is rippling, alive, triumphant. There is something uniting all of them. They're the lives of these six friends, childhood friends, are forever intertwined, and some of them drift apart, and some of them don't. But you see how they interact with each other, how they influence each other, how they're how they had an impact on each other throughout the rest of their lives, um, and you get a sense of the ways in which, despite the gulfs between us, um, we are all also connected. One character laments, quote, The wild, the weakened, and consequent cries that we utter when, trying to speak, we rise. When we reason and jerk out these false sayings, I am this, I am that. Speech is false. But if speech is false, there are other ways in which we are able to communicate and be connected Quote, we grew, we changed, for, of course, we are animals. We are not always aware by any means. We breathe, eat, sleep automatically. We exist not only separately, but in undifferentiated blobs of matter. With one scoop, a whole brakeful of boys is swept up and goes cricketing, footballing. An army marches across Europe. We assemble in parks and halls and sedulously oppose any renegade, Neville, Lewis, Rhoda, who sets up a separate existence. So on the one hand, this is maybe even the thesis of the book, we exist not only separately, but in undifferentiated blobs of matter. It's both. Um, and I think, rather than go on and on about Virginia, I can maybe bring that back to the theme of this podcast, which is often about ecological issues and other animals and our connections. Here she talks about how we are animals, um, and this idea that we exist both separately and in undifferentiated blobs of matter is something that I think any environmental thinker needs to, to grapple with. The idea that, yes, we are individuals with our individual needs and hopefully individual rights of some sort, um, and also that we are all in this interconnected web of ecology that connects us. Um, what are the... how can we grapple ethically? How can we figure out how to live a meaningful life as both ourselves and as part of a greater whole.
what stood out to me rereading a bunch of Virginia Woolf books um, earlier this year and, and late last year is, like I said, I'd read many of them before, but when I had started working on this podcast, I was thinking about novels and fiction through the lens of um, how do they successfully or unsuccessfully grapple with ecological issues, with being humans in a, a greater whole. And um, I was struck by how much Virginia's work does this. Um, and maybe I even want to cover it in a later episode, but whether in The Waves or in To the Lighthouse, which I, I technically reread it last year, but might be my new favorite, um, or Orlando, there is lots of nature writing in her books. Um, she is continuously impressed with not only the beauty of other nature, but also with its agency in, in books like To the Lighthouse and In the Waves. At times, the non-human is a character in and of itself, um, and this is maybe most stark in another book I read this year by her called Flush. Um, this is a novel of sorts. It's called Flush, a biography, and it's sort of based on a true story. It's very much based on a true story. It's about um, a cocker spaniel named Flush, who is the dog of the British poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and Wolf read through a lot of Browning's journals and diaries and reconstructed the life of Flush, and she tells his story mainly from his perspective, and it's this, I think, surprisingly like caring and gentle and often quite funny um, attempt to really understand the life of this dog. Um, and yeah, I think um, there are people such as Amitav Ghosh who have argued that the conventional modernist novel is not well suited to representing non-human nature. Um, and I think in a lot of ways that's true. I think Amitav Ghosh's books about this the Great Derangement and The Nutmeg's Curse are phenomenal. Um, the Nutmeg's Curse in particular is one of the best books I've ever read about climate change. Um, and The Great Derangement is something I think about a lot. Great Derangement's the one that bears more specifically upon the question of the modern novel. But it does stand out that, a, I think, someone who's a very canonical modern novelist, uh, Virginia Woolf, actually, I think, was successful at representing the hog and flesh and representing kind of the the vibrancy of life, the, the rippling universe in her other work. So anyway, congratulations to Virginia Woolf for winning the inaugural Storytelling and Animals Book of the Year Award. Virginia, congratulations, you earned it. In fact, of the 78 books I read on Goodreads, I only gave eight five stars on Goodreads, and three of those were by Virginia Woolf. So as you can see, she's one of my favorites. All right, um, a fourth five-star book from this year is the winner of the 2022 Nonfiction Book of the Year Award, and that is As Gods, A Moral History of the Genetic Age by Matthew Cobb. Um, this book was the subject of my previous episode, uh, the longest episode I've done so far, um, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but one thing I do want to bring up is... Well, for those who haven't listened to that episode, it is about a book by biologist Matthew Cobb that was sort of spurred by concerns about uh, certain risks of CRISPR technology, including the editing of human embryos, uh, gene drives that um, change the genetics of wild species and how those might spread throughout ecosystems, 
uh, and research that affects the uh, functioning of pathogens and might increase their deadliness. Um, so anyway, it's sort of about here are ways in which you know technology we have to reprogram DNA is useful and fascinating and represents an amazing scientific breakthrough, um, but also has very real risks uh, that through no ill intent of any scientist, uh, we might be stumbling into. Um, so it's a, it's a call for more democratic discussion of these issues and greater public awareness, um, and basically just a more a more conscious science. Um, and the brief story I wanted to share is that I remember as a child having a dream uh, where they were gonna and who is they I don't know the government powers that be whatever scientists uh, but. They were going to fly a plane around the Earth at a very fast speed, and somehow, in the logic of the dream, this very fast plane flying around the Earth was going to effectively time travel the Earth and bring us back into the past. I don't remember the details, it was a childhood dream, but it was only going to bring us a day or so into the past. I was not going to be harmed by it in any way, but I remember being stressed by this idea that sort of with none of us had any choice in whether or not these scientists were going to do the experiment um, but they were going to do it anyway and it was going to affect all of us by bringing us back a day in time uh, i i don't think i had seen the christopher reeve superman movie at that time uh, people who have seen that know that there was a weirdly similar plot device at the end of that movie um, but regardless i have been thinking about that dream both as i read as Gods about CRISPR, and another recent book I read uh, called The Synthetic Age, which is about um, a variety of technologies, including but not limited to CRISPR, um, such as geoengineering as well, uh, about basically the ways in which uh, new human technologies can sort of fundamentally recreate and reorder aspects of the Earth, and basically raising the question of what are the pros and cons of doing so? Um, and I think that, a, you know, whether it's geoengineering or CRISPR or self-driving cars or AI, um, there are a lot of ways in which technology is changing the world in ways that impact our safety or our, uh, our day-to-day life or anything else, um, that it feels like the world would be a better place if there was more literacy about this um, and more space for deliberation and democratic engagement around it. Um, not, you know, shackling science, um, but perhaps guiding it in some sort of dialogue. Um, so anyway, for raising awareness about one such issue, As Gods by Michael Cobb wins the 2022 Storytelling Animals Nonfiction Book Award. Um, I do want to give a couple honorable mentions. Um, you know, obviously many, many of the other books I've read on the podcast I very much enjoyed and came out this year. Uh, Half-Earth Socialism, A World in a Shell, Animal Crisis, Animal Revolution come to mind. Um, but there are others, obviously, as well. But I want to raise one 2022 nonfiction book that I did not get to cover in the podcast, which is um, Regenesis, Feeding the World Without Devouring the Planet by George Monbiot. This is a book that really takes a big swing at both diagnosing the issues with our agricultural system, the environmental issues in particular, and at envisioning a new future of food. Um, the, some of the most exciting passages in the book are areas where he either goes to farms that are trying new ways of growing food or imagines what they might look like. Um, there's a chapter about growing produce, a chapter about um, like grains and wheat, um, 
in a chapter about the future of meat, which he thinks basically we should stop raising animals for food. Uh, can't help but agree. Uh, to largely his argument is around land use issues, uh, and he has kind of this vision of a technology called precision fermentation, which I haven't heard of, um, but which can create alternate protein, and that he thinks would be a suitable meat replacement, um, but that would require, you know, whole new cuisines, a whole new revamping of our food system. It's an ambitious book, but I think we need that kind of ambition. Whether or not precision fermentation is the exact future our, our protein futures take, uh, maybe it's just plant protein, maybe it's lab-grown meat, or Beyond Impossible burgers, or whatever, um, or, you know, beans and lentils. But yeah, it's a book that really helped me think big about what the future of food might look like, um, and also, I think, is very useful in pointing the blame at agriculture, you know, in the world of climate change. Obviously, fossil fuels rightly get a lot of attention, um, but agriculture in general, um, largely animal agriculture, but also other types of monocrops and such, are think similarly ecologically damaging um not just you know their climate impact is not as high as fossil fuels but the other ways in which they poison the landscape and just destroy habitat for wild creatures and take up a higher and higher land footprint and Bombio's book is useful just in pointing out just how bad it's gotten um and the fact that we could feed ourselves on a lot less land and be a lot less destructive um and so rather than you know he argues uh keeping up the myth of the, the friendly farm, you know, a pastoral ideal, um, we should envision a future where there's just sort of less total agriculture, less land given over to agriculture. Anyway, a good book, honorable mention for New Release 2022 Nonfiction Award. For New Release 2022 Fiction Award um, for Storytelling Animals, uh, again, there are a couple that I covered on the podcast, um, Talia Lakshmi Kaluri's What We Fed at the Manicore was good. Uh, so was Sugaring Down by Dan Chodikoff. Um, both of those I covered on the podcast, but the award goes to How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. Um, this novel is devastating. Um, it takes place in a near future world where melting ice has unleashed a long dormant illness that turns into a deadly pandemic that sweeps through much of the world, um, a little close to home, perhaps. But Nagamatsu takes this in surprising and strange directions. Um, the, overall, the novel spans centuries, and in some ways it reads like a collection of short stories. Uh, the, the protagonist of each chapter is typically different than the previous one, um, but they are all connected. They take place in the same world. Often, you know, a character in one is the brother of a character in another or something along those lines. Um, and it does all, all form a cohesive, uh, cohesive novel whole. Um, the, the second chapter of this book, so the first one is, is kind of the release of the pathogen. And in the next, um, we are to understand that it is spreading rampantly. Children in particular seem to be affected and really the novel overall is is about grief, is about how we grapple as a society with mass death and with, if not wholesale destruction, large-scale destruction of our future. And, and in the second chapter, he sets it up with this idea that there is a euthanasia theme park, a, a special theme park for children who have this deadly disease from which there's no recovering, where they go on special rides and they get to have a fun last day. And it ends with a ride, a roller coaster that generates sufficient forces to euthanize, you know, save them from the painful death that's coming from their 
disease. Um, and <laughs> as I say it out loud, it's a grotesque idea. I, you know, when I read the first page of the chapter, I was like, oh, I, I don't like this. Um, but it's, I don't know, it turned into one of the most beautiful pieces of writing I've read all year. Um, you know, I was in tears by the end of that chapter. And the way he navigates grief and parental love and family and knowing that the future is, is either non-existent or darker than you think, um, I don't know. It, it's extremely powerful and gave me a lot to think about. Um, and yeah, as, <laughs> as upsetting as parts of the premise are, I, I think it's worth reading. Uh, there's another, another standout chapter is about a pig. I won't. I won't give too much away, though. Um, so I'll leave it there. A uh, fun fact about this book I will add is that in a review of it for the New York Times, um, the sci-fi author Lincoln Michelle uh, coined the term "speculative epic," um, where he's talking about this trend of novels that have come up come out in the last couple of years, 2022 and 2021, um, with multiple timelines spanning centuries. Um, using sometimes surrealistic elements attempting to make sense of climate change and other, um, you know, large-scale human and non-human um, issues that are maybe difficult to tackle within the frame of a more conventional novel, or if not difficult to tackle, then um, at the very least issues that span generations in a way where more innovative um, or non-conventional formats are useful for writing about them. Long-time listeners may remember that I introduced the idea of the speculative epic, um, my interview of Matt Bell, the author of Appleseed. Um, Appleseed is going to be our February book club book. If you would like to read it with us, we will be discussing Tuesday, February 28th at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern. Uh, phenomenal novel. We're going to talk about it more later. later. Uh, but yeah, there there are a lot that sort of have this century-spanning structure. Um, I read this year... Not only How High We Go in the Dark and Appleseed, um, but uh, Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr, which I really liked. A beautiful novel in a lot of ways. Um, the Actual Star by Monica Byrne, um, which is a really interesting novel. It has this vision of a, a future in the 3000s that's one of the more creative post-climate apocalypse societies I've seen, um, somewhere between utopia and dystopia depending on how you look at it. Um, and yeah, I just got my library hold on Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel, which I'm told follows a similar structure. There's The Immortal King Rao that I hope to read. Um, I, you know, An older example would be Cloud Atlas, which I, I have on my shelf. But yeah, I, I hope to explore more of these in future podcast episodes and how um, you know genre bending might allow people to explore big issues like climate and ecology. So anyway... How High We Go in the Dark, the 2022 new release novel of the year in the Storytelling Animals Book Awards. Okay, now we're going to move into overall, um, so pre-2022, older release awards. For nonfiction read of the year, I have four finalists. They are the aforementioned Great Derangement by Amitav Ghosh. It was my second time reading this. Um, and it was the first Storytelling Animals Book Club book. White Skin, Black Fuel on the Danger of Fossil Fascism by Andreas Malm and the Zetkin Collective, which was also a book club book. Too Hot to Handle, The Democratic Challenge of Climate Change, um, which was a, a book I covered on the podcast, which 
it's really short, and it's one of the more useful introductions to climate change, um, and also how increased democracy can help solve it that I've come across. I really liked it. Um, but the winner I'm going to pick is one that I didn't cover on the podcast, and that is The Ends of the World, Volcanic Apocalypses, Lethal Oceans, and Our Quest to Understand Earth's Past Mass Extinctions by Peter Brannett. Um, I got on kind of a paleontology kick this year. Um, obviously, longtime listeners will know I interviewed Riley Black about her book, The Last Days of the Dinosaurs. I interviewed Steve Brusati about his book, The Rise and Reign of the Mammals. I also read his other book, The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs. I read uh, Thomas Halliday's Otherlands um, and uh, Stephen Jay Gould's Wonderful Life. Um, but I don't know if my absolute favorite, but one of my favorite books in the genre that I read this year uh, that I'm going to highlight is The Ends of the World by Peter Brannett. Um, basically, he goes through and talks about each of the last five mass extinctions, mass extinctions of animal life. Uh, so the most famous is when the dinosaurs were taken out by an asteroid about 66 million years ago, um, but there were four others before that. And then toward the end, he sort of reflects on whether we are currently going through one, what that might mean. Um, but what really stands out in the book is, one, just great science writing, you know, figuring out what happened all those millions of years ago is just an incredibly difficult scientific feat, um, and there's still debate over how some of these extinctions were caused, um, and I think Brandon presents that debate and those scientific efforts really well, um, but also how much we learn from the past extinctions about our current situation. Um, there are parallels between each of the past extinctions, whether it's because the Earth was warming back then and that caused extinctions, and oh look, it's warming even faster now, or whether extinctions were exacerbated by uh, the Earth being divided into islands where you know animals couldn't migrate very far because the land wasn't connected, and how in some ways our current habitat fragmentation and cities and roads and stuff do a similar thing where it makes migration harder. Um, yeah, it's just a helpful reframing of our current crisis while also learning a lot about the Earth's history. Um, and I recommend it, and I give it hereby the 2022 Older Release Storytelling Animals Nonfiction Book Award. It came out in 2018, by the way, so not that much of an older movie. Okay, and moving on um, to Older Release Fiction Awards, I'm going to break this into novels and shorter fiction. Um, and these are the last two. So, Older Release Novel Storytelling Animals Book Award 2022 goes to, well, we have three finalists here that I want to lift up. The first is the aforementioned Appleseed. Again, I won't go on too long about it, except to say that I interviewed the author several months ago, and I reviewed it then, before the interview, so you can listen to my review there. And if you would like to learn more about it, again, please read it and join us February 28th to discuss it. The second finalist is Antarctica by Kim Stanley Robinson. I interviewed Robinson this summer. It was my second most listened to interview of the year, um, so hopefully many of you got a chance to check it out. Um, he's one of my favorite novelists. It was a joy to be able to talk to him. Um, and my favorite novels by him are his Mars trilogy, in particular the first two, Red Mars and Green Mars, about humanity settling on Mars. But after those, Antarctica might be my new favorite, and I've read a bunch, like ten or so. Antarctica is based on the admirably ludicrous premise that some organization is doing eco-terrorism on Antarctica. 
what a logistical nightmare that would be. It takes place in the future, and it is came out in the 1990s, and it's interesting as an example of a novel that came out almost 30 years ago where climate change is a factor. It's, you know, it's not the main plot point, but yeah, it's set in the near future, and the Earth is getting warmer. This is um, just kind of an unavoidable aspect of writing a book in the near future, and I appreciate that Robinson was already including climate change back then. And there are interesting political and philosophical reflections in the book. It's not, um, you know, it's not his most politically ambitious or thematically relevant book that he's ever written. But it's still really interesting, and it's just a thrill. It's fun. The main characters are likable. The plot is suspenseful. Um, You know, his loving descriptions of the Antarctic landscape are kind of beautiful and make me want to go there. And also, it sounds really cold, so in that sense, I don't want to go there. But anyway, I really liked it. I'm not going to give it the award. The award goes to a book that I reread this year, Lord of Chaos by Robert Jordan, book six of The Wheel of Time. A couple minor disclaimers. Um, Obviously, this is excluding Virginia Woolf. Otherwise, her aforementioned Waves, or maybe even Flush, would be winning this award. Um, But she got the overall award, so someone else has to get the category-specific award. Um, And two... You know, it might depend on the day whether I think this is better or Appleseed or Antarctica, but I'm going to talk about Lord of Chaos because I talked about the other two on the podcast earlier. I first read the Wheel of Time series, which is 14 books in the main series and a prequel. Um, I read the first 11 books in the prequel when I was 13 or 14, um, 2006 or 2007, and at the time they were my absolute favorite books. Uh, as a 13-14 year old I would have said my two favorite series quite comfortably were Harry Potter and Wheel of Time. If asked for my favorite book I would have said either Harry Potter and the Lord of the Phoenix, Lord of Chaos, or Winter's Heart which is book nine of Wheel of Time. And after the TV show the Amazon Prime adaptation of Wheel of Time um, the first season came out last year I decided to go ahead and go for a reread. Um, as mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I struggled to focus on audiobooks where I haven't read the book already, um, but I thought the audiobooks for Wheel of Time could be great because I'm already familiar with the world and the characters, um, and you know, it could be a nice background while I'm doing the dishes or exercising or whatever else. Um, so anyway, in the last year or so, I've listened to six books of the Wheel of Time, actually seven, including the prequel. Um, and it's been really fun to revisit, uh, but it's also been literally more than half my life since I read it, um, and I've read a lot of other fantasy since then, and there are parts that don't hold up, so I listened to the first one, and, you know, nostalgia was in high gear, and I loved it, but as I kept listening, I thought there were a lot of ups and downs. Um, when the Wheel of Time is good, it's really good. It's set in a vast fantasy world of all different peoples and cultures with fascinating magic system and prophecies to be fulfilled and a lot of um you know a lot of fantasy staple um but it just does that stuff very well the fighting's good a lot of the characters are good um and when it's right it's right it's not always right um in particular robert jordan is not good at writing romances um as a 13, 14 year old, this maybe didn't bother me or I hadn't read much good romance. Um, but as an adult in particular, his 
women characters who are otherwise quite strong and capable, much to his credit. Um, that I think is a shift from much of the male-dominated fantasy historically. Um, but they sort of fall apart when it comes to men, um, and it sometimes is a little cringe to read. So listening to books two through five, I would go back and forth between the series is phenomenal and ooh, this is dated. And then I got to book six, and for me, it really comes together. The books are famous for becoming increasingly sprawling, and for some, by book six, it has already become too sprawling and too slow. For me, it's where the series peaks. Now, this is a podcast about storytelling animals. For those of you who listened to my interview with the Reverend Tom Emanuel about Lord of the Rings, you'll know I have an interest in fantasy and how fantasy literature um, can portray the non-human. There's a quote from the writer Ursula K. Le Guin, where she says, I venture a non-defining statement. Realistic fiction is drawn towards anthropocentrism, fantasy away from it. Although the green country of fantasy seems to be entirely the invention of human imaginations, it verges on and partakes of realms in which humanity is not lord and master, is not central, is not even important. And I think this is true of Middle-earth, and, you know, in some ways it's true of T.H. White's Once a Future King and, uh, you know, Ursula Le Guin's work. But it's interesting to apply to some more contemporary fantasy, um, including The Wheel of Time. There are trappings of the genre that do look beyond the human. For instance, there's a character who has a special connection with wolves. There are a species of being called ogres who sing to trees and... I imagine are maybe somewhat ent inspired, but um, and then there's also a, a character in the first book called the Green Man, who's some sort of like nature spirit of sorts, and so in a sort of a uh, almost a superficial sense, the Wheel of Time um, does veer away from anthropocentrism, creates a world that is bigger than just humans. But I actually think what stands out and what makes the sixth book the winner of <laughs> my book award is the human characters. Um, there's about five main characters who get plucked up from a farming village at the beginning of the story and thrust into a wider world of evil and magic and prophecy and war. And again, that's a classic fantasy trope. You have your hobbits in Lord of the Rings, for example. But what makes the protagonist Randall Thor one of my favorite characters in fiction is the way that he and his friends grapple with going from being farmers to lords and leaders of armies and magic users, they carry kind of an instinctive distrust of the nobility, which is always fun. And most of all, at least some of them, uh, Rand and his friend Perrin in particular, are very concerned with how to act morally in a complicated world, one where there's often no right answers. Um, you know, it's a big battle between good and evil, um, and a lot of people say that that sort of classic fantasy is less morally complicated than your your House of the Dragon, for instance. But I think you can use good and evil to tell an immensely morally complicated story. I mean, I think Tolkien does that, as I discussed in my podcast about Tolkien, but Robert Jordan does that here. And a lot of the series is about the moral compromises of being a leader. You know, characters have to sacrifice soldiers in battle to fight the evil. They have to use people as pawns in a broader game. And the question becomes, how much of yourself do you lose when you harden yourself like that? Or do you have to harden yourself to be strong enough to defeat evil? 
and the the story does offer answers throughout the entire series. I don't want to, you know, spoil that or get into the whole 14-book character arc. But part of why book six is so powerful to me is it's really the crux for a couple of main characters of figuring out who they have to become to fulfill their role in these grand prophecies and grand world-ending plot lines and how much of their self they can keep around or lose in the process. There's also just, I think, extremely compelling and scary villains, uh, The Forsaken, for those of you who have read, and the story veers in a way that's unexpected in this book, and the ending of this book is, for my money, the most exciting climax in a fantasy novel. Uh, For those of you who have read a lot of fantasy, often they end with big battles and thrilling conclusions, and I've read a lot of fantasy novels, I've enjoyed a lot of fantasy novels, I think the end of book six is the best one. I'm excited to get to book nine, though, because that has a good ending, though, too. So the next thing Ursula Le Guin said in that quote about fantasy is it partakes of realms in which humanity is not lord master, is not central, is not even important. In this, fantasy may come much closer to the immense overview of the exact sciences than does science fiction, which is generally obsessed by a kind of imperialism of human knowledge and control. I think this is perhaps unfair to some science fiction, at least, uh, and that would include the winner of my short story award, Storytelling Animals 2022 Book Awards, in the category of older releases, fiction, short story, is Exhalation by Ted Chiang. This amazing collection has multiple stories that challenge the idea of the imperialism of human knowledge and control. For instance, there is The Great Silence, which a parrot laments that humans put so much energy into trying to contact alien life uh, without paying adequate attention to the parrots they could communicate with that right here on Earth. Um, there's a book, A Story Omphalos, which also challenges the idea of the world being made for humans. Um, the longest story in the collection, called The Life Cycle of Software Objects, uses these sort of AI digital animals um, to raise questions of our moral responsibilities to other potential consciousnesses. Um, And maybe my favorite story, though, isn't as directly related. It's called Anxiety is the Dizziness of Freedom. But It's about free will and interpretations of quantum mechanics and the choices we make and what it means to live as a moral person. Um, Free will is a common theme in this collection. There's a few stories touching on it. And overall, it's just brilliant. It came out in 2019. Um, Every story makes you think. He has little notes about the science behind each one, too. And it really shows what science fiction can do, bring us in a way that brings us outside of ourselves. Um, Chang's previous collection you may have heard of was Story of Your Life and Others. Um, The main story in that, Story of Your Life, is one of my favorite short stories and was adapted into the movie Arrival, which some of you may have seen. Anyway, if you haven't read Ted Chang, I recommend it. He's definitely someone who, if and when he comes out with another collection, I will be 100% reading it. Honorable mention here goes to A Swim in the Pond in the Rain by George Saunders. Um, George Saunders is an amazing short story writer. I've read his collection 10th of December, and it's great. Um, But this is actually short stories not by him. Um, He collects seven short stories from the 1800s. One might be early 1900s by different Russian authors, such as Chekhov and Tolstoy. Um, Gogol and Turgenev are the other two. And he includes each short story in the collection, and then he has his own commentary afterward. And so it's a mix of fiction and nonfiction, and it, I think, is a great... All the stories are great, George's commentary is great, 
and I think it really helps train you to be a better reader of, of short fiction, um, or at least to help train me. I really enjoyed it. Okay, those are all the book awards for now. Um, I will say the categories included 2022 and older releases. They did not include 2023. Uh, I did read one 2023 release, Justice for Animals, Our Collective Responsibility, by the philosopher Martha C. Nussbaum. That will be um, hopefully the next episode coming out in early January. I interviewed Martha a week or so ago, and we had a really wonderful conversation. I also want to talk briefly about books I wish I had read. Um, in terms of 2022 releases, I wish I had read Ed Young's An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. Uh, it was shortlisted for the American Library Association Andrew Carnegie Award. Um, it was on the New York Times list of five best nonfiction books. And of course, it's the next Storytelling Animals Book Club book, so I will be reading it soon. Um, and we'll be discussing it Tuesday, January 17th at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern. I hope you'll join us. Two other nonfiction books that I hope to read next year. One is a 2022 release as well. Um, this is a recommendation from a Patreon supporter, um, Bart Harlow. It's called Ways of Being, Animals, Plants, Machines, The Search for a Planetary Intelligence by James Bridle. Bart told me, quote, I believe this book breaks new ground on integrating a more holistic approach to 21st century progressive politics. One that begins with an understanding of how digital capitalism has destroyed the planet, but also integrates animals and plants into the narrative in a new way. One that even sets forth the terms for a new paradigm. It is an amazing read. For obvious reasons, that sounds very much up my alley. I'm excited to read it, and I think that the animals, plants, machines connection... Um, might make it a nice history read to something I did read this year, The Book of Minds by Philip Ball, which is another nonfiction favorite. I haven't mentioned it in this, but um, you can listen to my interview with Philip from a few months ago as well. And the final suggestion from a Patreon supporter um, is from Christine Convery. I recently moved to Detroit uh, in May. Some of you may know, and previously I lived in Chicago from 2016 to 2020. Um, so I spent some time around the Great Lakes. And Christine recommends The Death and Life of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan. She writes that I think my most impactful read of 2022 was Life and Death of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan. It gives a history of many ways humans, specifically white settlers, although he does not cover indigenous history or enviro-racism, in recent centuries have mistreated these waters by viewing them as avenues of commerce and playgrounds rather than as ecosystems and homes. I'm excited to read his next book coming out soon, specifically about phosphorus pollution. So yes, this author has a book coming out in 2023 um, about phosphorus pollution, and yeah, it sounds like his book about the Great Lakes is great, and that as someone living near the Great Lakes, I hope to read it. Um, other books I'm excited to read moving forward are Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. I think I mentioned earlier my library hold just came in. I actually wasn't a huge fan of Station Eleven, which I know a lot of people love, um, but I've heard good things about her new book, and I'm excited to give it a try. Uh, I'm in a Russian book club right now. Uh, Brothers Karamazov is coming up. I'm excited about that one. I've never read it by Dostoevsky. And finally, I am excited to continue reading the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. Um, we read the fifth season, the first book in that trilogy, with the Storytelling Animals book club um, this summer, and I thought it was great. It was one of our most well-attended book clubs. A lot of people really like this book. We had a great discussion about it, and I really want to read the next two books in the series. I haven't had a chance yet, but hoping to soon. 
All right, thus concludes the first annual Storytelling Animals Book Awards. To recap, the winners were How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu for 22 release, 2022 release fiction, As Gods, A Moral History of the Genetic Age by Matthew Cobb for 22, 2022 release nonfiction, Lord of Chaos by Robert Jordan for older release fiction, the Ends of the World by Peter Brannon for older release nonfiction. Exhalation by Ted Chang for older release fiction short stories. And The Waves by Virginia Woolf for overall best book. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast over the course of the year. It's my first time doing the podcast. It's been a great learning experience. I've talked to some amazing people, and I'm so grateful for everyone who listens who supports on Patreon, who follows my free newsletter, who subscribes to the podcast, who helps get the word out, who in any way contributes to the ongoing life of storytelling animals. Thanks so much. Hope to see some of you at future book clubs. Um, and have a great day. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D dot com. Ah!